Hey, this is Bob Lee, and you're listening to Over the Ball with Kevin Flynn, the world's game from an American perspective. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Over the Ball with Kevin Flynn alongside media executive Grail Hallett and OTB producer and Syria specialist Sam Griswold. Today on OTB, as we try to make sense that all that's going on around this country, it's crazy, man. We just uh, figured we'd take everybody's mind off it by talking about a little, little soccer, a little footy, as it were. And, uh, and we're going to help celebrate the 50th anniversary of Soccer America today. Our guest is the executive editor, Mike Wojtola. He's been around for a long time. The magazine's been around for a long time. Uh, some great stories, some great growth in this country with soccer. We've come a long way, long way to go still. They're, uh, they're actually one of our sponsors. But uh, for me, and Grail, I would imagine it was literally the paper of record in the soccer world, uh, you know, having read it since I was in high school. So, uh, man, that thing came in the mail, Grail. I'm yeah. telling you, it Sports was like, Illustrated and Soccer America. In Rolling Stone. But I, I, yeah. I will say this. Uh, I felt like that kid from A Christmas Story getting the Red you know, Rider BB gun, man. I was just so excited to get that. Uh, and, and read about this exotic world of soccer that was out there. So a lot to talk about today besides that as well. Um, uh, but first, guys, what are you over on over the ball today? Um, Bam, I'll, 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 I'll jump in. Um, okay. I, I'm over, and I'll make this brief because we may talk about it a little bit later. I'm just over the discussion about pulling the plug on Frank Lampard. As the, uh, as the manager of Chelsea, again, it's just as a Chelsea fan, it's just so, uh, it's so annoying to hear this stuff this early on. And again, I'll just make it brief. I think Frank overachieved last season. Yes, they spent a lot of money on new players, but you got to give time to have the new players adapt to the system and just give Frank the season. If it doesn't work out this season, do whatever you want. But please, this is way too premature. Sam, Sam, it took him a long time to get into a Chelsea story, didn't it? Huh? Nah. No, sorry. <laughs> you know, I mean, if they let him, you know, it's amazing. It's be careful what you wish for, because you almost look at Arsenal fans. They just the drum beat to get rid of anger, and then all of a sudden, look now they're even further down on the table. So there's no easy answer. And someone like Lampard, who has such a career at Chelsea, if he can't even make it through the season, well, God luck to good luck to anybody, man. So Sam, what are you over? Yeah, so I have a resolution this year. This is our first episode uh, in the new year, 2021. Uh, it's to put more ideas out into the world, be more you know creative and positive. So um, I, I'm going to build off what I was over last week. One of the things I was over last week, which was the sort of lack of a premier youth tournament in this country for soccer, comparing that to the World Juniors. Uh, and I'm going to throw out this proposition, which is I would like to see if the NCAA cannot figure out a way to make the split season happen. I'd like to see colleges use the spring to have a huge nationwide knockout cup tournament. Uh, you know, we all know how, you know, how vital the cup is to soccer leagues around the world. Um, I mean, I mean, colleges of all levels. So D1, D2, D3, community colleges, anything, you know, it starts off regional and we whittle our way down till we get a cup champion. I think that would be something that people could get into and would be really cool. I like it. We could use cool. some. Sam starting off 21 on a positive note. Trying. Cool. So I think the NCAA has done nothing with our game. Yeah, this is out. This is beyond NCAA. I want yeah. you know something yeah, totally but, different. But so who would be competing? Everybody. It I would mean, be anyone, like an right? FA FA Cup for colleges, right, Sam? Yeah, exactly. So open D1, open D2, tournament. Three. Yeah. I'm saying if you have college teams competing, there's no way the NCAA cannot be involved. So so it could be Wesleyan or Middlebury or UMass against Stanford. In the final, yes, I love, love that. it. Well, one thing is to say, I think it is an untapped 
market the college game for the NCAA. Mm-hmm. And I think they're seeing the world's growth. I don't think they're, they're it's digesting with them to, to say, oh, we should really, maybe this is a sport of the future. We should really uh, embrace it. I think they've done a better job with women's soccer, obviously, because mm-hmm. their eye is on men's football and men's basketball. Um, you know, even baseball suffers a little bit sort of regional now. And um, so, uh, yeah, I, I hope well, the NCAA does something. When you saw the decisions that were made this year about football, I mean, everything was about trying to get college football up and running, right? I mean, everything else just suffered, fell fell by the wayside, and it was all about the Big Ten and the SEC and everybody getting a football schedule. And and everybody who supported, uh, you know, Trumpster fire. Trumpster took uh, uh, credit for that. He said he got it going again. You know, all right, sure. Everybody's hell, millions of dollars. Yeah, it's always you there. So yeah. <laughs> that's what I'm over. I'll do that. I'm over Trump. Let's talk <laughs> about domestic issues here a little bit. Um, Grail, MLS, what's happening? They have a, a CBA agreement. Uh, you know. Yeah. So so what they what they've put on the table, and we kind of alluded this uh, to this a little bit last week, is they proposed a one year freeze on spending and a two year extension on the CBA through 2027. And the trade-off is that there aren't going to be any pay cuts for players. So essentially they lock the players in a little bit longer. They don't spend, you know, they obviously, because of the billion dollars that I guess Don Garber is saying they lost, um, they cut back on, on expenses and spending. And uh, so we'll see, so we'll see how that goes over. They also didn't want to negotiate, I think in 2026, which is a world cup year. They didn't right. want to have to be doing negotiations during that time period. So we'll see. So they've kind of put that out. They've kind of thrown out the gauntlet. And now we got to see what the players, you know, union says in return. Right. That sounds, that sounds sort of reasonable. Well, so we'll see what happens. It's reasonable. Yeah. Yeah. Something like, you know, even in a city like New York, it's going to take a couple of years to recover. So um, maybe it's the same way with the, with the soccer league. So yeah. um, I'm happy to see Bob Bradley's going to receive the Walt Cheswitz lifetime achievement award on January 15th. Uh, great coach. Absolutely fantastic coach. And, uh, you know, what, what ticks me off still is always the, the how he was treated in England. And so it was uh, it was annoying, annoying to me. So I'm glad he, he's got his due because he's. Yeah. Know. And I've I've come around, you know, I was again, maybe this is just with age comes something. I don't know. But I was always kind of down on Bradley because I thought he was kind of dour and I just didn't like it. But during this whole Black Lives Matter movement and stuff, I've been so impressed by him and, and by the way, by his son. Um, just how articulate they've been on the subject. And I've really changed my opinion on Bob Bradley over the last few years. Well, I, I really have a lot of respect for him. Yeah, he does come off that way, but I, yeah. you know, I've, I've you know, had a few beers with him. and um, Like he just wasn't enjoying it. I, like he always looked like it was just painful. Michael's that way too, you know, yeah. sort of a little, little dour seeming. Um, yeah. You know, so, uh, so yeah, so congrats to him. All right, U.S. Win, uh, men's national team and the women's teams, uh, the seniors. Uh, plus the under 20s are going to hold camp at IMG Academy January 9th to the 24th. Josie Altador gets the nod at 31. Verhalter uh, looking to stave off that youth movement? I don't know. I think, that, you know, of all the players that they've got now that have come in, um, uh, of, of riches for Verhalter to choose from in midfield and in the back a little bit. But uh, but up front, it's still, a, it's still a big question mark. So I'm, I'm not surprised by that. Are you guys? Ahead, Not Sam. too much. I mean, I think we're all a little surprised to see he's only 31 years old. Feels like he's been around for, for so yeah. long. So I think he still has plenty to give. And I, I don't think anybody has stepped up to take the mantle from him. I mean, we're all waiting yeah. for, you know, Sargent or Morris or, 
you know, one of these guys to kind of come Harvey. good, but um, I don't, I don't think it's happened yet. And I think Josie would be, um, he'd be a good, he'd be a good point guy for Pulisic to play off. Cause I think Pulisic's really good when he plays off a point guy, when he plays with Giroux and people sure. like that, he's really good. And I think Josie could kind of fit that cause they haven't found their number nine. You're exactly right, Sam. They don't have that guy. And so I, you know, I, th I think it's great opportunity for him provided those hamstrings hold up. God, I was going to say it's like he, a walking injury. Well, he's 31, but his hamstrings are 72. <laughs> so, uh, all right. So some other news uh, going on, uh, you know, Will the women's national team, will they invite Carly Lloyd, Megan Rapino to camp? I mean, those are two question marks, I think. Carly, no, They've Lloyd, been invited. Yeah, Carly Lloyd, you know, if you saw the old sexist thing, you can't say anything about a women's age. But when we're talking about professional athletes, that's part of the package. So, sorry, I think she's 35 or over maybe. In she's over, I, think, I want to say 37. Uh, we'll, have, we'll have to do a little research as, as we're talking about her. But she's... Definitely on the older age of the spectrum. I think she can still play though, Flinny. I do, I do oh, think absolutely. she can still provide value. That At that level, it's a question. I also think that because of her complaining about the last World Cup, and even though they won the World Cup, that comes off really poorly. And, and I know, you know through experience, sometimes you don't put a player who's going to be um, griping on the bench because it's sometimes, especially someone of the stature of Carly Lloyd, uh, it it uh, sort of starts to rot, you know, rotting apple mm -hmm. in the barrel. So I, I would be surprised if she makes it to the final um, roster spot, to tell you the truth. Guys, anyone else? Yeah. Lloyd is, Lloyd's 38, by the way. Just double-checked. 38. Yeah. yeah okay. so, I mean, she's I mean, fit, though. I mean, she's she's as fit as anybody on that team, I think. Rapino's an, an, an interesting call because, again, she's been doing the Megan Rapino tour for the last year, promoting herself. And I'm just wondering how that goes over when she decides to come back in. And again, I just, I just didn't think she was one of the best players on the team. I think she got an incredible amount of exposure for her social um, yeah. justice issues, but as a player, I mean, I just don't think they would miss, I think they'd miss more by Carly Lloyd not being there than Rapino, honestly. And Alex Morgan's not invited due to a positive COVID test. So uh, she went to California. Uh, what was she thinking? I don't know. Uh, I think people just feel like they're she's different. got a young daughter or son. she's got oh, a baby. Oh, well, we know what she's thinking. She wants her parents to see her baby. So I understand it, but um, we're all in the same boat. Go back to California too. I'm driving there now. I'm not dealing with anybody. So uh, I think U S soccer is actually kind of irritated by that development, sure. you know, that she didn't just stay put. So we'll see, I, say, I guess. All right, let's talk EPL. You already talked a little bit Grail about Chelsea. Uh, but the big news there seems to be the COVID positives are uh, are up a bit, huh? Yeah, they they seem to be on the verge of something potentially bad. They've got they had forty positive tests through January third, so I don't know what the current count is. But there are a lot of games that are kind of teetering in the balance. They got a lot of FA Cup fixtures this weekend, so yeah, um, it's it's they're right on the cusp of something potentially bad, like a, a government imposed shutdown happening. So we'll have to see. Hey, before we even get to EPL, I meant to ask you this, Sam. Uh, Weston McKinney scored a great goal against Milan, huh? Yeah, beautiful goal uh, Wednesday evening in Milan for Juventus in their 3-1 win. Came on as a sub, um, scored a really nice goal. Kind of doing exactly what he's been doing for them, uh, which is kind of covering multiple roles on the field at one time. He was kind of playing right mid, but on the goal, he was kind of snuck in from the left right into the box and uh, was in the right place at the right time. 
and he's just been playing fantastically. And yeah, he's um, got confidence right now. Yeah, it's, it's really, really great to see. And um, as he's been improving, um, so has Juventus. So he's he's definitely part of that team and not going anywhere. For the national team, he sort of played that roving role as well. He was all over the place. For, uh, yeah, for seems to be a bit more defensive on the U.S. team, like comes all the way back to the back line. He doesn't really have that responsibility um, at Juve, so he's a little more free to, to wander. Nice. All right. Good. All right. So let's get back to the EPL. It's an exciting year. It's a pretty tight race. Uh, Liverpool lost to Southampton. Uh, yeah. I mean, great finish, uh, but got outplayed. How about, uh, you know, Alexander Arnold there um, played horribly. Just horribly. Yeah. Well, I just, for anybody who didn't see that Danny uh, Ing, uh, Ing goal, look it up because it, it, it's the the degree degree of difficulty and the thought that went into it were just amazing, um, but yeah, they were. Uh, Southampton is certainly on the ascent. They're a club that's been playing really well. Uh, Liverpool is struggling away from home, you know. So that it was a tricky fixture for them. And Liverpool right now, I, I, the fascinating thing about the league is just you know they're uh, four points separating the top seven teams. So as I've, I've been saying for a long time, I think it's wide open, it's exciting, and you're going to have winning streaks and losing streaks. And I, I would be, I think Man City right now looks like the team that's very dangerous. I, you know, look, I, I think Liverpool is not playing well no. and they're still at the top of the league. So I think, it, you know, some of these injuries change. I mean, part of it is just get tired. Uh, Alexander yeah. Arnold just tired and um, and they're not scoring they're not scoring they're going through games where they're just not you know they're scoring one goal or whatever they're not getting those big explosions you know now that i've said that they'll probably go out and score six goals in the next match because that's the way the league has worked this year it's just right. very unpredictable yeah so which is which is kind of fun because the, the big leads that teams have had in the past uh, kind of, um have dampered things you know you stop watching as much the, the race you start watching teams uh, the Carabao Cup, you should call that the Man U, uh, Man the, City. The Man City Cup, they won it. They, they beat Man United at Old Trafford. They're going to be in the final against Spurs on April 25th. They just have a lock on this. I think this is their fourth straight final. Um, I think they've won seven, uh, if I'm not mistaken, like seven in the last nine years. Some crazy stat like that. So, anyway, you know, they, they say with Pep, Pep and Man City, you know, coming to Man City you know champions league and win the league are the real big things so yeah. they're gonna be happy with the carabao cup yeah really nice touch they did too is colin bell is just an absolute legend uh for man city he played there when i grew up in england in the 70s he was a big he was just a fantastic player for them and all the players came out wearing his number eight jersey which i thought was a really nice tribute to uh to him also, so, Zach Steffen been starting in goal for Man City in the Carabao Cup, so that's pretty cool to see. Yeah, to play he, in made the final. he made a save. He made a yeah, he made a great save in that game. He didn't have much work in that Chelsea match. That was his first game because uh, I guess Ederson's had COVID. So uh, yeah, but he definitely was tested in that Carabao Cup match and uh, made a made a great save. And he's getting he's getting some looks, which is which is great. I was afraid he wasn't getting any time at all. So uh, you know, maybe the silver lining of COVID gets some gets some. Uh, yeah, and that defense. I mean, the other thing about Man City is they seem to have sorted it out finally in the defense. And John Stones is playing well again, and they've got a really good back four and a lot of clean sheets. So that's why Liverpool should be concerned about Man City because scoring goals generally isn't their problem. It was conceding goals. So. All right. So before we get to Mike Wojtola, uh, did you guys listen to this messy interview? I didn't. 
I did. I mean, I, I, I stumbled upon it after all the games were being played. I think it was last Saturday. And, uh, and I thought it was going to be about a 15 minute interview. It was 70, it was an hour and 15 minutes. And it was like, I didn't know Messi until I saw this interview. I got to be honest with you. I, I had never really heard him speak much. And it was fascinating. He talked about politics. He talked about, you know, the interviewer was asking whether or not he'd ever gone to a, a therapist. He said, no, but my wife always tells me I should. I mean, it was very, it was just very interesting to see a player that you know so little about actually talk about things other than soccer. Right. Was he speaking in English? He was speaking in Spanish. He, he clearly had a good relationship with the interviewer. Yeah. Um, but it was like anything was on the table and they asked about everything. He asked about his relationship with the team. I, the, the one thing I got though was kind of, it felt like he was setting people up or preparing people for the fact that he's leaving in the summer. Uh, that he'll always go back to Barcelona. He wants to work for the team in the future. He'll all, he'll live there when he gets older. His kids love it, whatever. But then the other thing hanging out there was, you know, maybe Pep, maybe going to Man City. And then eventually, and obviously he had mentioned the thing about maybe playing in, in uh, MLS at some point. So. Oh, okay. That'd be great. That's what we want to hear. So, uh, okay. Yeah. So speaking of MLS, yeah. sorry, I just have two quick little news stories yeah. to get to on MLS. Um, first is that 21 year old American center back, Mark McKenzie just uh, was signed by the Belgian club Genk from Philadelphia union for $6 million. That's the highest ever for an MLS center back. Um, Genk is the team that has produced Kevin De Bruyne, Thibaut Courtois, and also um, Khalidou Koulibaly at Napoli. They have a really Solid track record to, to pronounce that name, please. Um, no, I love the way they just float up your, your lips there. Very, uh, very solid track record for producing center back. So I think this is pretty cool and a pretty big deal. But the other thing I think is really cool is that this doesn't even seem that strange anymore. I think right. 10 years ago, if this was happening, it would be huge news and it almost slides yeah. under the radar. Um, so it's something to keep an eye on. Also, Phil Neville, the former England women's manager, uh, is going to be the new Inter Miami coach. So reuniting with David Beckham. I don't really know much about him as a coach, but yeah, good to get a name, I guess. Yeah, no. the other thing, Sam, that you've mentioned a lot is just American companies uh, investing in British clubs. And Burnley, uh, last week, uh, the American investment firm AL Capital took a majority stake, an 85% stake in Burnley. Mm -hmm. So once again, another American entity um, extending its tentacles into the Premier League. Yep, the Premier League becomes even less English. Yeah, see some more opportunities for English broadcasters over here. Be fun. Right, looking forward in the mix. Sorry. All right, with that, let's take a break here. When we come back, we'll be talking to Mike Boitola of Soccer America. It's their 50th anniversary. You listen over the ball. Over the Ball is brought to you by Soccer America. Go to SoccerAmerica.com slash join and sign up for the Soccer America Pro Membership. It's just $4.90 a month or $49 a year. And by Ticket IQ, the simplest and cheapest way to buy tickets. Go to TicketIQ.com and when it asks for the promo code, punch in OTB10 for $10 off of your purchase. Can't lose. All right, joining us now on Over the Ball to help celebrate the 50th anniversary of Soccer America, executive editor of Soccer America, a good friend of the show as well, Mike Wojtola. Mike, das ist gut. What's happening? 
Oh, uh, it's great to be back on the show, and uh, it's great to start a new year. Happy New Year, guys. Thanks for uh, getting Happy in touch. New year. Yeah, yeah. yeah, we've missed uh, not waking you up for a couple of weeks here. <laughs> trying to get caught up with, every, with everything. You know, we do an East Coast, West Coast, uh, and I'm in, I'm in El Paso, so right now on my way across country. So this is a sort of multi-time span. Time yeah. zones. Time zones magic. in Flinney, not good. All through the magic of Zoom. So, uh, so Mike. Talk about the anniversary, about, uh, you know, we've talked a little bit in the beginning of the show about, you know, how excited you were to get that paper delivered to your dorm room or, uh, you know, your mailbox in high school, Soccer America. It's no longer an actual paper, but it's online. You're celebrating 50, uh, 50 years. Uh, talk about that and what an accomplishment that is. It's been a lot of fun because one of the things that we're doing is digging up, going through the archives and looking at what we covered in the past and i'm finding a lot of you know stories even from our first one in 1971 where there are names of people um you know steven aguesco i am ibrahim uh, ziggy schmid uh, guys who were in that first issue and then their names came up again and again and again and again that's that's a lot of fun uh the other thing i you notice when you go through that is uh obviously how far we've come um and I, you know, I was really kind of, one thing I was neat is I was going for the, the first year of issues and we, we covered women's and girls soccer, even in 1971, you know, when it was, you know, men's soccer and, and, and boys soccer was relatively new, although obviously the men's game has been around for, you know, for a century, for you know, a long, long time because you had the ethnic leagues and, and all that. So um, it's really neat to see how far the game has come and, you know, where we are today. Where we've got kids playing in the Champions League in Europe and playing for teams that are at the top of their standings and uh, a, a league that's in it that had just had its 25th season coming after the league that had Pele and everything. So it's kind of neat, you know. I you, you can go to, you can start going a little bit into a very pleasant rabbit hole of history of soccer. The great stories, you know. It, it reminds me soccer has always reminded me in a sense of women's rights. It's like yes, we've come far. We still have a long way to go. Uh, and, you know, when you talk to someone your age, my age, Grail's age, about how far we've come, I, I don't think the generation today, I don't want to sound like an old man, but they don't really realize we didn't take anything for granted in soccer. And I think what you're referring to, too, is the names that were impactful back then are still involved. You can actually see people who coached for them, people who played for them are all part of the infrastructure that is soccer now. Yeah, and it created kind of a community, you know, a family um, where there were, because it was a sport that was growing and a sport that had an underdog sense where you would, you know, be ignored or mocked by the mainstream media. You'd have these jerk columnists who would uh, make the stupidest insults about soccer, you know, make fun of the names. It would always have a xenophobic bent to it. Uh, you know, probably because they were intimidated by it. They were these old cigar chomping uh, newspaper, horse racing, boxing, football guys who maybe didn't like that something was new and they didn't understand it. They didn't want to have to be forced to learn about it. Um, you know, that's the kind of things that we, you know, we dealt with back then. And I think that brought the soccer community together. And I think of it, um, you know, next week, there's going to be the, the United Soccer Coaches Convention, which has always been a real fun event for a lot of us because you get to see people you've known for a long time and friends of soccer from all levels. It'll be digital this next week, but 
um, you know, I did create this, you know, it's a neat thing. And it's another neat thing, I think, that we saw in 2020 when the soccer community responded wonderfully to the serious issues of social injustice and, and racial injustice, not just soccer, all the sports, I think, were magnificent in their response and, um, and, and the soccer community as well. Yeah, I think, you know, soccer, I've often said that on this show, it's, it's uh, even on, you know, one pitch, I'm playing on a team with guys from everywhere, the whole world, from different languages and cultures, and everything else like that. You know, in the comedy world, we have the, um, the we call it the holy trinity of comedy. Um, you know, Lenny Bruce, Carlin, George Carlin, and, and uh, Richard Pryor. Uh, can you see, of all the great personalities that have come in and out of the game here in this country over the last 50 years, are there uh, a couple of pillars that you could sort of, you know, talk about? I mean, one natural one would be Pelé. Um, you know, how I started playing because of him coming here. The yeah, I, you know, there, there's so many. Um, and it, it's a little, uh, it's one of those things you don't leave people out. But, you know, we've been thinking about the college game a lot recently. And uh, you had uh, a lot of guys in the college game, whether it was, you know, now we've got Sosso Swarovski, who's, starting to really make you know have some success you know, ncaa really never did anything for soccer they they, they really treated soccer coaches like crap yeah. um and and these guys fought on and and never gave up and believed in and fighting to make the sport better uh a lot of guys like that whether it's john rennie or ray reed um you know you go back in that i mentioned ziggy schmidt who you know who died a year and a half sure. ago i believe it was um who also became a you know, a, a, a professional and who also won MLS Cups. Um, you know, you have so many people, you have guys like Bruce Arena, obviously, and, you know, Manny Shellscheidt, who was a guy who influenced Bruce Arena and Bob Bradley and Dave Sarakan and, and so many others. And, um, Robin, know. I mean, Robinson, you know, we were just out there trying to spread the word. And uh, I used to say we were almost like a cult skateboarders, you know, we had our little group and everybody was throwing stones at us, but we, uh, we loved it. So my, my thing, I think I would say Pelé, probably the 94 World Cup to go big yeah. on, a, on a macro level and then either MLS or or the national team, I think. Well, I mean, the NASLs, if, if you look back um, at the 1990 World Cup team and the 94 World Cup team, uh, super important, right? Uh, those kids, were almost all of them were a product of the influence of the NASL. Right. Yeah, you know, I mean, the, the NASL, I just looked, they, they folded the year I graduated from college. I wanted to get drafted so badly and because that was everything. That was a great league. It was sexy. It was, you know, uh, looked glamorous, looked fun. And, um, you know, I guess they just made some mistakes. But the MLS or MLS now has um, sort of like with Greg Abbott and how he designed it, it seems like it's they've rectified some of those situations. But as it grows, as it moves forward, uh, probably more changes afoot. No question there, just me babbling, really. <laughs> oh, I, yeah, I thought Grail had a question. I wasn't sure. <laughs> yeah, Grail always has a question. Yeah, Happy New Year, Mike. Great to have you. Happy 50th anniversary. Um, I'm just curious, you mentioned the social justice and Black Lives Matter, uh, those movements in 2020. I'm just curious, you know, from a from an editorial standpoint, you know, how do you how do you go about covering stuff like that without kind of letting your own opinion Oh, we, 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 I mean, we covered it. It was interesting because 
uh, would, had very little criticism and the criticism was quite curious because I didn't think it was a political issue. I think it was pretty straightforward. We covered what was going on. We got criticized heavily from someone because we talked to, we covered what Michael Bradley said in a very, um, you know, articulate, factual manner, commenting on it. And this guy who, when I Googled him, I found out he was a, you know, a Trump funder. Um, he, uh, he, it was the, my response was, uh, you know, this is the captain of the national team giving a press conference, and we cover that. And he's, oh, would you cover it if he was saying something pro-Trump? Yeah, of course I would. I mean, of course I would because it would make the guy look so ridiculous. But um, we had the full support of Ken Fadner. Um, you know, we, we covered yeah, we, our publisher, Soccer America. Yeah, no, he he even came on our comment line and, and supported what what we wrote. I mean, some of it was we did write opinions about it. Um, you know, Ian Plenderly's. I, you know, I I wrote several articles about it. Not, um, I think it was. Again, I don't see how it's political to to support uh, the fight for for racial justice and and social justice. To me, that's like that's advocating for clean water and clean air. That's just a factual situation. But one thing I do want to bring up is, um, you know, I did a story on Chris Wondolowski, who uh, was a leader uh, and a big ally of the uh, of the black players um, in MLS. And, you know, we spoke about it. And Chris Wondolowski is, is a white guy. He does have um, the Native, Native American. American background, but he grew up in, um, in San Ramon out here in you know, one of the richest zip codes in, in America. And he was a really good example of what soccer is like. And it's a, it's a game, professional sports, I think is a meritocracy, like probably no other profession. You have to be good. You, 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 every, you need to be good to play professional sports because it's so important to win and succeed, right? And you go into a locker room in an American professional soccer uh, team in, in most places in the world, you've got a huge diversity of, of players and Chris Wondolowski, you've got upper middle class kids. Um, you've got kids who grew, uh, players, men who grew up in favelas, you've got all, and you gotta get along and you, and you gotta support each other or you're not gonna succeed. And I think that creates a special type of empathy that professional athletes have that's unique and puts them in a very good place, a very uh, legitimate place to, to comment and to, you know, to speak out against the injustices. And I think in the last year we saw, you know, how, how important it was that they did and, and what kind of effect that they had. You know, and, and Mike, just, just quickly, knowing that backstory about Wando positively affects how people look at him. It's like an important thing to know. If I'm a fan and, and I read your article about Wando and his opinions on certain things and the fact that he backs all his players, like that makes me more positively disposed, not only towards him, but toward the league. And so to I, me, I it's just all positive. I thought the league handled it very well yeah. when MLS when it was, you know, MLS back tournament. I thought they handled it well, very well. I thought the way they supported their players was good. You know, I went to a game. I was there. They didn't give a lot of uh, press credentials for the for the so-called ghost games, the uh, games behind closed doors. Yeah. When the league came back from um, playing at their own venue. So I drove out to San Jose and that's when it all came down with the NBA teams uh, boycotting and, uh, I drove up to show my credential to the guy at the parking lot and I said, is game on? Because my boss, Paul Kennedy, had texted me and he said, I bet you're going to cancel it. And he said, I, I, he said, oh, you mean, is 
is it going to be canceled because the fires? You know, we were having bad air, and I and I, and I said, "Not nah, player protest." Anyway, I, I, I part of me was hoping the game was going to be on because I really wanted to see live soccer, and then I started, you know, finding out what's going on around the entire country, and 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 the players took a stand and they said, "No, we're not going to play today." Um, well, I went home and spent all night watching videos and reading about what's going on, and. Um, it, it, the players did the right thing, you know. That's what I wrote about. It, it they couldn't play that night, and and it worked out that uh, it didn't, you know, it, it created a movement that I think um, captured a, a, such a large swath of our society that, you know, I, I'm more hopeful than ever that we're going to see progress on these issues. So you know that it was a, it, sports can't ignore that kind of stuff when it happens like that big. Right, and I think soccer is in a unique position again because of the makeup of players and you know you, to go back on a point you guys were talking about soccer for a long time was a prep school sort of upper class upper middle class sport and you know if you did progress to a certain level get to a college level or play say semi-pro or pro ball you were with guys who didn't speak English many times I was playing with Polish guys and Colombians and you know and what, what are what's Portuguese food like and hanging out there and then the German American club we play you know you get a real view of the world and what this country is about with soccer. And look, in all the other sports I played, uh, I didn't, I didn't really get that. I didn't get that. And so that's why I think soccer, you know, kind of goes into a unique position. And then for you guys to comment, I didn't think it was a comment on, um, you know, the Black Lives Matter movement or any of that. It just was just stating facts, really. Uh, but I know that ESPN, when we were over there, they've been struggling with any type of politics that gets involved in their their program yeah, well i i mean I, again i don't think certain things are politics i don't think it's political to criticize having a sociopath in the white house you know i don't think that's politics i think that's just speaking the truth that when you have a guy who encourages violence you know we've we should be past that right now but um you know i would swing back to 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 just um you know what how it's the positives of what's been a very very tough year um and and you know having soccer leagues uh, be able to come back and play. I wish that, um, you know, I, I wish that sports could, that, that the rest of the society could get tested the way our athletes could. <laughs> yeah, I know, I know. You know, but they, but they did give us a chance to, you know, to, to enjoy sports while we're in shelter in place. And, and, and then once we got back on the field, even in restricted ways, um, just kicking a ball around felt better than it ever had. Thank you. Isn't it the truth? I called one of my buddies in Connecticut that I had played indoors with. And I'm like, you want to just go out in the field and knock it back and forth for a little while, a little fresh air. And uh, then he got home and his wife made him quarantine for two weeks. So <laughs> Dan, what do you got? Yeah. Mike, you mentioned the convention earlier. I'm, I'm curious, you know, what it's going to look like this year as a virtual event. Um, and you had a, a great interview with uh, the CEO of United soccer coaches, Lynn Burling manual um, just come out today. So I was wondering if you could talk about that a bit. Yeah, yeah. Um, so I for the last week, we so the convention uh, for those listening is a neat thing where about 10,000 soccer coaches and players and media meet in one big place. You walk around, you meet people, you go watch. You know, in this case, it's Jose Mourinho and Greg Berhalter are going to be there, Jim Mellis be there, but virtually uh, a lot of famous people, interesting people. Um, so it's going to be a digital convention. Um, we have a, what, a virtual booth. Um, it's really hard to imagine it being a fun thing if you don't get into it, but it's like um, we started, we, we created our virtual booth and and I think it's actually be kind of neat because 
um, you it is possible to interact with people and and you know watch sessions and stuff. Uh, it's disappointing not to see people in, in person, but from what I can tell, it um, like you know you you can you 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 disconnect with people besides watching the sessions and listening to Jose Mourinho. Um, you you know you can connect with whatever. If a lot of the exhibitors there will be uh, your uh, merchandise companies. Uh, your shirt sellers, your analytics are always big. So oh, soccer business, man, it's all there. It all takes place. So it's yeah, it's, and 8, and people eight thousand mullets, I think. It, it's you know how some <laughs> of the Zoom stuff, it can be fun. Um, I think it'll be a little bit like that, you know, where where you you, you do get to connect a bit, not optimally, but at least uh, you know virtually. Yeah, you know, you get to see um, you get to see a lot of people you haven't seen before. You know, haven't seen in a long time. It's really great. It's like uh, yeah, it's like I mean, college reunion. It's really, it's really a good time. And there's a lot of, and it's grown so much over the years. It's a, uh, it's pretty amazing. So it's always a fun thing to do. So. One, one big advantage they had because of uh, the digital thing is that the, the, the famous uh, soccer personalities who are going to be having sessions, I think, is like four or five times as many because in the past they wouldn't be able to fly out there. Right. Uh, they'd be in season or have training camps and stuff. So they've really expanded the number of people who will, uh, you know, some of it since some of it, a lot of it's sort of tactical how to stuff, but a lot of it, some of it is, uh, you know, I mean, Jose Mourinho, I'm sure is going to be entertaining. Um, you've got uh, Jesse Marsh, who's going to do a bit. I, 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 you know, sometimes it's on field stuff and sometimes it's a, it's a question answer. Sometimes it's kind of electric stuff, but it's got, just got a lot of stuff, you know, a lot of things that you can bounce around in and, and do as much or as little yeah. as you like. Yeah. Jesse Marsh is like the uh, Christian Pulisic of the coaching world. I think we're all, all eyes are on him. He's doing a great job uh, there and uh, quite a future. And then you mentioned Burhalter. Uh, let's talk a little bit about the U S men's national team. They start camp uh, down in Bradenton Um I was not surprised. I think Grail was surprised that Josie was put on the list. I'm not at all. I knew that was going to happen. He's 31 years old. Uh, he's still got something left in his legs. And I think for all the uh, gifts that Burhalter has been given with this new crop of talent, uh, still that uh, that position is kind of wide open. No one's really taken it. What are your thoughts? Well, yeah, and it's not like he's keeping someone off of that roster. It's, it's a 12 man, yeah, 12, person, 12 player camp. So, uh, no, yeah, you got to give Josie a look. I, I mean, Josie's one of the best forwards we've ever had when he's fit and healthy. Uh, you know, he, he's, he's a good player. The I, a very great player, I think, for American forward. Um, he, it's amazing when you say he's 31. I, I do that all the time. When I check his age, I, I forget how young he is. <laughs> I think he's 50. How he well, how young he started. Yeah. Um, I could also see, you know, Greg Berhalter is a, is a smart guy, good coach and everything. I could also see that him coming into camp could help. He's probably going to get, um, you know, medical attention. I mean, you know, fitness attention and everything. Cause I think Josie's challenge is going to be, you know, being fit and not and uninjured and, a fit him in Josie out the door. I think you always got to keep an eye on. I'm not saying he's going to be on the team for sure, but um, you know, the forwards, they got uh, Paul Ariola, they got Chris Mueller, you, you know, relatively young guy, Jordan Morris, who, you know, one of my favorites uh, as far as I think, you know, just has a knack for scoring. Um, so you got, you know, you, you got 12 guys. Cause obviously they're not bringing in the foreign players. Right. 
Yeah, Mike, don't, don't you also think just jo Josie from the standpoint of being a, a seasoned vet among a lot of young players has a real benefit just to, to provide some, you know, wisdom and leadership and things like that? I don't know, you know, because I'm not in the, in the locker room, but um, I think it's, no, I think if Josie makes it, it's going to be because they think he can score goals. I, you know, they, the, I, I don't know the dynamics of what it's like when they bring in these young guys, but it seems to me that they're, they're pretty solid, you know, that um, they're pretty confident. I think Pulisic is probably like a 28 year old in the locker room. I'm guessing, you know, it's not like these guys are, uh, I don't think they're going to come over from Europe and say, Oh, Josie, please help me out. You know, <laughs> I've been hanging out with Christian, Cristiano Ronaldo. So no, I meant uh, more, I meant actually more of the guys that are, yeah. I mean, I, I don't yeah, know, no, but, uh, yeah, no, I think this is the up, and, the up and comers, not the Pulisics. And yeah, you know, no. I think of those guys as proven commodities, right? Yeah. Oh, you know, well, we should mention that they, they yeah. got the U23s there too i was kidding. yeah right they got the small michael bradley guys i mean michael bradley is he called in no michael bradley's not on the list yeah, which shows you that maybe they just feel like they're set midfield there i thought he'd be in there for a leadership role you know we, this is always the period of time where we go through the, the bleeding out of one national team to another yeah well he called also i don't know that uh, michael bradley i don't think you know he again he had he must have been a, not had some injury issues early on because yeah. you know, he didn't look as himself. And um, they did have a crowded schedule, right? Because so some of these guys must need time off in the MLS. Yeah. Uh, and it's going to be crazy for the European-based guys, right? I mean, it's been mm -hmm. a, it's been a, a silver lining for the young Americans. Uh, not just I'm not just talking about the Pulisic, Kenny, uh, Reina guys, but you go down pretty deep and list Americans getting playing time in Europe because these guys are playing like every, these teams are playing what every couple of days it seems mm -hmm. yeah. you know, they're, they're squeezing in so much um because of the covid delay that um you know bear halts there's i mean but the, back to the if you go to socceramerica.com you'll see our the roster of the 23s and um that's not including the guys who are doing well in europe and it's pretty impressive yeah deep the pool is of american u23s and you mm -hmm. a lot of guys in mls with significant playing time who are eligible for the u23s which you know as a reminder that would be the team uh, hopefully has an olympics coming up that's uh funny just uh went out went to get his dog i think um, my dog's still sleeping that guy looks so weird. <laughs> the but yeah no it's a it's uh It'll be now that I realize that you know with the U20s there, I could see them. Those would be players that would have watched Josie when they were you know ten. <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah. My my uh, room service just came, <laughs> and I have a dog here. I'm on the road, so sorry about that, guys. Let's talk about the women's national team, Mike. Um, you know, it's funny. They're Carly Lloyd's been called in, and Megan Rapino as well. So. Um, uh, it reminds me of the old U.S. men's national teams where you had Harksy and Ramos and all those guys would stay on for like almost three cycles. Um, I don't I don't see uh, I see a lot of women coming up now that are going to. Yeah, no, the women, it's, it's it's a lot harder than the men's national team when it comes to the veterans, because uh, historically they don't go very uh, they don't ride into the sunset very willingly. And um, if a coach decides one should then um that could create strife among the leaders on the team you know almost every coach that's coached a women's national team has 
either been succumbed to a player's revolt or survived one. Um, wow. And for uh, Vlatko, it's even trickier because the roster size of Olympics is 20, which means from the 23 roster that won the World Cup, you got to cut three. Mm -hmm. And then you add to that young players coming in, um, like uh, Katarina Macario from Stanford, who could be one of the best women's players ever. Mm -hmm. uh, he's got to cut some of these icons. Uh, Alex Morgan out there because her family, she got COVID. Um, but Megan Rapino, who I was, who I thought maybe was done, um, Carly Lloyd, you know, he's got to give him a chance. Um, Carly, they, Carly's probably 35, right? I mean, she's uh, up there and um, she might be even older, funny. Yeah. And I think Carly was a tough one to, you know, at the last World Cup, right? Yeah. And then, and then he, Jill used her as a sub. She did okay. And then she criticized Jill and said she should have played more, which yeah. I thought was laughable because if you win a World Cup, you did what you're supposed to do. <laughs> it's like, uh, no, well, I think it's almost like the Harksy situation back in the day where, you know, captain for life and you start to, the familiarity breeds contempt. You start to think it's your team and not a, a team. And, you know, that, that, uh, you know, it, Sam, we've talked about this before, you know, the Italian national team, it's like, boy, the players they pick, man, the people they don't pick, you'd love to have, you know, it's, it's a competitive thing and uh, the you know it seems like the world cup is played at a higher pace um the well, you, know, you know the interesting thing about rapino though guys is that uh i bet u.s soccer is going to have a big say in that because she is a marketing tool and they would love to have megan rapino whether or not she's one of the best players anymore is almost beside the point she uh, draws she draws attention she, I don't see it, don't she, see it man. Uh, you no, know, Sam, I, uh, I disagree. <laughs> um, I, I, I apologize for disagreeing you with. No, you don't have to apologize because I do think. But no, I, they don't. First of all, U.S. soccer not going to tell a coach who to bring and who not to bring. And winning the gold medal is more important than because uh, they the big the challenge they have. The challenge women's soccer has right now is the NWSL needs house uh, household names. Uh, NWSL had a, had a very good year with their TV ratings, um, you know, but they are going, but, you know, the biggest names move, you know, are playing and are aging out and we're playing abroad. So Vlatko needs to come back with some, you know, gold medal winners. Megan Rapinoe getting older, I was surprised. I wasn't sure how much interest she still had. Um, obviously, she's a, a, a great player. She's been super busy off the field in, in a very positive way, in my opinion. You know, I'm constantly impressed with her articulate. You know, she's she's just a really good spoke. You know, spokesperson about whatever she speaks about. Um, and you know, but I just you know, it's 27 players in that on that roster, not including Morgan. Morgan's gonna be another tough one. Um, yeah. so yeah, yeah 27 now, so yeah, and not so, rain, I would imagine. Well, that 27 doesn't have, um, well, Ali Long, Morgan Bryan, Jesse McDonald. I mean, so it's the, Jill Ellis did something really smart, which is, <laughs> is uh, you know, win two world 
cups and then not yeah. have to deal with an Olympics. You know, the Olympics got delayed, obviously, because of COVID, but usually it's a year behind the World right. Cup, which just creates a crazy dynamic, you know. Well, it's done the same with the men's national team, but they hadn't played for so long. So, uh, all right, guys, before we go, anything else you want to ask Mike? Knows all, sees all. He's like Zoran. The... Yeah, Mike, what are you going to be doing? So you just celebrated your 50th. What will you be writing about for your 100th anniversary at Soccer America? <laughs> oh, how uh, how the uh, how, how the American, youth, American youth soccer is uh, is uh, almost cost free and uh, oh, there you go. <laughs> we've won every World Cup since twenty. The sea levels are no longer rising. And <laughs> <laughs> beautiful, I love it. <laughs> All right, well, Mike Boitola, executive editor of Soccer America, we appreciate it. Fifty great years. Um, looking for another fifty. Not that we'll be reading it that whole time, but. Uh, Onward and upward for soccer. Thanks for joining us on Over the Ball, big guy. Thanks for waking up on the West Coast. Hey, hey, thank you so much, guys. I, I really appreciate being on and seeing you guys again and, and feeling good about the new year. So happy new year. Hey, remember to tweet us at Over the Ball, like us on Facebook and Instagram, and write a review. In fact, make us one of your favorites. It makes a big difference. Always great to talk to Mike as we wake him up on the West Coast. It's nice to see him wearing a different ski beanie every day, every time we talk to him. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I do want to clarify one thing. Um, I wasn't saying that U.S. soccer was going to dictate to uh, the women's national team that Megan Rapino play. I was just making the point that in a perfect world, I think U.S. soccer would love to have her as a marketing tool for that mm -hmm. team. So whether or not she's good enough to play beside yeah. the point, but she is a very, she is a high, the, the most recognizable player on that team. Yeah. But you know what? It, it used to stuff annoys me. You got to be the best. You got to be one I, of the plenty. I totally yeah. agree. No yeah. argument. I think a, another, another thing with the women that it made me think about is, you know, that's the majority of their pay, right. Comes from the national team. So you can see why they don't kind of want to bow out. Whereas, with a, a guy playing in England or whatever, it's it's quite normal to drop out at 32 because you focus on your club career. You have that to fall back on. Yeah. Um, so. let, me, let me say this too. When you have a guaranteed contract and the marquee players have them, right? The men's side doesn't have them, but the women are guaranteed their contracts, right? So that means that puts them in a very powerful position, more so than the head coach. And, and Mike mentioned that a little bit where they've yeah. had player revolts, uh, you know, a little coup d'etat there um, and, and they're out. Like, so I, I will tell you this, I'll drop something. When I did Sex in the City, there were three different directors and the director had no power because the women had the power, the stars of the show. And that's yeah. sort of what I see happening here. It's, um, you know, it's, it's a dangerous thing. I mean, it, it could be, it could be a problem because like we saw how Hope Solo, she didn't go quietly into the night. No, I just think also Carly Lloyd is one of the single most competitive players we've ever produced on the men's era or the women's team. And she just loves to compete. So. Yeah. But you when know. you're 38, you're 38. Right. You're right. either good enough or you're not. I get it. Right. Right. Well, she's good enough. It's just a matter of whether she can be good enough for long enough. And this is part of what happens at 38, barely. There's no men on the national team at 38, um, right. maybe unless a keeper. So this is just the reality of the, the, the growth of the game. There's more players coming up and it just pressures you to be get popped right out on the other side. Mm -hmm. So Sam, what do we got today for a little yeah, quiz? Yeah. So I have a bit of an involved quiz, uh, but I'll explain myself. So there was a story in the New York times about a week ago by Rory Smith, who, who I like a lot. Yeah. I think we all like his stuff um, about oh. the Danish club FC Michelin, I believe is how you say it. 
Uh, they're kind of this analytics obsessed, you know, Oakland, a money ball type organization. Mm -hmm. um, and the article was talking about how the area they're really focusing on now is set pieces, which are kind of being thought of as this underutilized next frontier in the tactical revolution. Uh, so I found the article really interesting. I'd recommend anyone to take a look at it. Um, and so what I did after is look into some of the numbers for this season from whoscored.com to see how many goals are scored from set pieces, et cetera, what, what the shakedown is. Um, so keep in mind, these may have changed in the meantime, because we're recording while there's probably games going on. But I'm wondering, first off, across the top four European leagues, England, Spain, Germany, and Italy, what percentage of goals result from set pieces? And that definition means a goal that's been scored via a set piece situation, corner kick, free kick, or thrown. So it's not only directly into the net. I'm going to say 12%. Okay, plenty. Say 40. 40. Okay, it's actually 17.6% across the top four leagues. Um, what percentage of goals do you guys think come from penalty kicks this season across the top four? Oh, God, there have been European so leagues? many more. I'm going to say 25%. Jeez. 22. It's actually 11.8, so about 12%. Is that high? Do we have a frame of reference on that, Sam? Because they it does seem like there have been more penalties. I didn't, I didn't look into yeah, no problem. the last season. Sorry. Yeah. Um, he's wow, questioning our quiz man. What you no, he's right. He's <laughs> I'm right. Trying to, I mean, I'm trying to stump him. A baseline is important, especially in a year like this one. Um, what percentage of goals have come has come from counterattacks across the top four European leagues this season? 12. I'm going to go higher. I'm going to say 20. Okay, it's actually just 6.3%. Whoa. So that means the majority of goals obviously come from open play, and that's 60, yeah. 61%. Okay. Uh, okay, so now I want to break it down a little bit. Which league do you think has the highest percentage of goals from set pieces? England, Germany, uh, Spain, or Italy? Spain. I'm going to go with Germany. Okay, it's actually England at 20.2%. Germany's at 18.6, Italy 16.1, and Spain at 15.6. I just envision the German team spending hours and hours and hours. The player. That stuff. Exactly. Yeah, makes sense. Uh, what about penalty kicks? Highest percentage across the top four leagues? Highest percentage of goals scored? Yes. On penalties? Mm -hmm. I'm going to say England. Kevin? England. Yeah. Oh, sorry. I didn't hear it. Spain, 13.4% is the highest. England, 12.1%. Oh, Germany, 11.4%. Italy, 10.4%. Uh, and then which league has the highest percentage of goals from counters? Premier League, England. I'm going to go with Bundesliga. Okay. It is the Bundesliga at 7.4%. He's uh, seven here today. Spain at 6.3, England 5.9%, Italy the lowest at 5.6, which is funny because you think of it as a defensive counterattacking league. Uh, and then finally, which league has the highest percentage of goals from open play? I'm going to go with Spain for that. I'd go with Spain too. Okay, it's actually Italy at 65.3%. Whoa! Spain at 61.6%, Germany 598 and England is the lowest at 57.5%. Um, so looking into the individual teams, it was interesting. There's definitely a correlation between set piece goals and teams overachieving. Um, mm -hmm. For Take example, this quiz <laughs> in, uh, in Serie A, Benevento has the most with eight. They're a newly promoted team that most people thought would go right back down. They're currently in 10th place. 
in England, it's Southampton with nine, who I think most. So they have one more than Chelsea, I think. Yeah, would agree are overachieving so far. Um, Spain, Real Sociedad leads with seven. They're currently in fourth place, having a really good year. And then in uh, the Bundesliga, Bayer Leverkusen has 10, and they're currently in third place. So there's definitely a correlation between these, a chance for these smaller teams, it seems like, to overachieve if they do really well on set pieces. Yeah, um, I mean, how, I mean, set pieces are an interesting combination of, of really good execution, but also par, uh, I mean, bad execution on the defending team. Also, also. Right, right. I mean, both goes into it. Yeah. So I, I'm sorry, I have to keep it going. We have to do MLS to have some kind of, you know, barometer right. here. So what percentage of goals do you think come from set pieces in MLS? Remember the European average was 17.6. I'm going to say 8%. Kevin? 11. It's actually 21.6%. Oh my God. So that's, that's counterintuitive. 4% higher than the European top four average. Never, ever would have guessed that. What percentage of penal, of goals come from penalty kicks in MLS this season? This past and what season? was the barometer again? The barometer is 11.8% in Europe. I'd say 14%. I'm going to go 10. Okay, this is, it's only 6.8%. So that's 5% below the European top four average. So a lot less penalty kicks. In a rougher MLS. league, man, in a tougher league. Yeah. Uh, Counterattacks, I won't even do. It's 5.6. It's just slightly before the European, uh, below the European top four average. It's actually the same number as Italy. And then goals from open play is 63%. So that's just 2% higher than the European top four average. So there's not really much difference there. But once again, there's a correlation between set piece goals and overachieving. Nashville had the most this year with 12, and in its first season made it all the way to the conference semis where they lost to Columbus. So pieces, man. Oh. There you go. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, there is nothing more frustrating than just like a wasted corner, right? You just feel like, oh my God. Yeah. What yeah. It, and and, it, and it's, I, it proves the point. The I'm big into having them no contact in the box on corners because it'd be a lot more goals because you see, you know, rugby basically takes place on a corner kick. And I just think it's against, it's hard enough to head a ball, to cross it, to get it in uh, with a guy defending you, but never mind having them pull on your shirt and everything. I think you just should call it tighter. Yeah. The athletic also did an interesting analysis, Sam, on crosses, like which team crossed the ball the most. Mm -hmm. And it wasn't necessarily the more you cross, the more you score. Because it, it really came down to like the quality of the services, which is why Liverpool is mm -hmm. so good. You have to have those great wing backs to be able to. And also the quality of the finisher. Of course, yeah. of course. But if you're whipping the ball in there with really good pace, it's requiring the person on the receiving end to probably do a little bit less. Yeah. Maybe, you know, think back, you know, growing up, guys, the English coaches just telling you to get the ball across, get the ball across. And so there's no sort of intricate you know, one, two touches it through the box. It was all about yeah. it down to the end of the line and then everybody rush in. So the game has definitely changed. Uh, and, and now I just think the pace of the cross is much, I mean, you guys used to float crosses in a lot more. And now it's like, just whip that ball into like the six to eight yard box area. So Sam, is that it? What do you got? That uh, that's all I got. That was yeah. awesome stuff, Sam. Well done. Somebody broke out their abacus. Uh, <laughs> for all that stuff. Um, all right. Well, that's good stuff, guys. Um, I will continue my cross-country journey and be in uh, L.A. by Saturday. So the over-the-ball office will be spread out across the continental United States. Be safe in L.A., funny. Yeah, yeah, just uh, stay quarantined. So. Yeah. Uh, all right, everybody, that's all the time we have today on Over the Ball. I'd like to thank our guest, the executive editor of Soccer America, Mr. Mike Wojtola. 
and his collection of dancing beanies that you don't get to see uh, on the podcast. Uh, for Sam Griswold and Grail Hallett, I'm Kevin Flynn. We'll talk to you next time on OTB.